0: at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message.
1: We are in a series that we're calling When God Is. And last week, um, it was (laughs) When God Is Silent. And this week, we're going to be talking about When God Is Unfair. Unfair, yeah. Um, I have six kids, and so the word unfair has been used often in our <laughs> house, right? There's some laughter there, so I think you guys get this, right? Like, for instance, particular bedtime, right? So the kids are growing up, and the oldest hits some milestone, and we decide, hey, you can stay up a little bit later, right? And all the other kids scream out, that's unfair, right? And then, as parenting does, particularly when you've got a lot of kids, the younger ones start to be able to stay up later, earlier than The first set, right? And then the first set, of course, is yelling out, unfair, right, that they don't get to do the same. So unfair, I think you guys get it, but there are times that God just seems like he's being unfair to us, isn't it? And so, Jody, if you want to go ahead and jump in.
2: Yeah, thank you. So when God is unfair, we say when. And I think we say when, knowing that there must be some times where we feel God is fair or life is fair. So, for example, we might think it's fair when we get the bonus check at the end of the work year. Um, Teens, you probably thought it was fair when you got a car on your 16th birthday. Um, We think it's fair when a criminal is convicted, found guilty, and um, is put into jail. We don't think it's so fair when we're the ones who did not get the bonus check. Uh, Teens, you probably don't think it's too fair if you're the one who didn't get the car and you've been doing a ton of side jobs to try to earn money for a car, or, heaven forbid, you even have to drive your mom's minivan. Um, And if you are the one found guilty and you're facing some consequences for maybe just one stupid mistake, one dumb decision, that is now altering your life a little, or a lot. So it seems that fairness is relative to which side you're on, right? What, uh, how you view the situation. It doesn't seem fair if you've been a Christian for most of your life, and you're tithing, and you've served the church, and you get into heaven, and then the same is true of the convicted felon who maybe has a four-page rap sheet and he sat in jail for about 20 years and then placed his faith in Jesus. That's not fair. Or is it? I would say it's just as unfair that a Christian is saved by God as it is a criminal, or anyone for that matter. God is unfair in the most beneficial and good way did I just hear that right? Is that what you're thinking? She just said God is unfair and it's a good thing? Yeah. We should actually be grateful and thankful that God is unfair to us. We're gonna, like uh, Pastor Mike said, we're going to be in Romans a lot. You can head there now. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, New Testament. Or pull up your app and it should pop right up. Verse 10 tells us, um, as the scriptures say, so we know it comes from somewhere else. It actually comes from Psalm 14. And it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And if you go down a little to verse 23, it tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then up a little bit, back to verse 9. All are under sin. All mankind is guilty. You and me sitting here, the criminal in the prison cell, all are under sin. Okay, so Paul is making clear, all have sinned. And he moves through Romans telling us that there is this wrath from God towards all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Okay, there's a judgment by God. And God is going to render a judgment to each person without any partiality. There will be no special treatment, no exception. So, up to this point in the letter, Paul has been making this case, as well as he is going through and he's shutting the door on every argument that anyone in his audience might have as to why they would be an exception. So, in context, for Paul's audience, They think that maybe because they're Jews, they're the Israelites, they're chosen by God, they've been given the Mosaic law, they have circumcision as a sign of the covenant, that they would not be found guilty. And maybe they wouldn't, and that they would even escape the judgment. Now for us, now in our time and culture, people still think they can escape judgment. And lots of times it's just because we don't even think we should be judging, And then also because people feel that they're mostly good. Or at least they're better than so-and-so. So in our culture, we tend to want to believe that people are mostly good. And we think that God wouldn't send a mostly good person to hell. That doesn't seem fair. And we often hear that. God is unfair to send good people to hell. To clarify, God does not send people to hell. People choose not to acknowledge God. The Scripture is quite clear that God wants none to perish. He goes and he leaves the 99 to save the one. Reality is that God would be more unfair if he let sinners into heaven. That is what would be unjust. Have you ever thought of it that way? that God would not be a god of justice if he let sinners into heaven. So for all sinners, and there is a judgment for all who are under sin, how do we get out from under sin? Can we get out from under sin? In Romans chapter 3 verse 21, there are two really good news words. But now, Because up until this point, Paul, he's not painting a very good picture. And he says, but now. But now God has shown us the way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So if you remember, this summer we studied the commandments, ten commandments. They're part of the law. And it was given by God to the Israelites or the Jews, and they were supposed to abide by it. We fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So There are two ways to eternal life. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or, we never break any part of the commandment. We totally and completely follow every minute of every hour of every day of every year, your whole life, all of the law. I don't know about you, but I can't keep the law. I have no hope of righteousness except Christ. Verse 22 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Let's break that down a little bit. A price had to be paid for sin, right? Scripture tells us the wages of sin are death. So Christ's death on the cross was a payment to redeem you and me from death. And that's what we deserve as a result of our sin. The sacrifice of Christ was to satisfy God's wrath on sin. And in our place, Christ soaked up all of God's wrath. It's like this sponge. He just took it all in. And there's no more left for you or for me. Let's use that criminal justice system again for an analogy. So We have God. He's the God of justice. He cannot let sinners into heaven. So picture a courtroom. God is there. He's the judge. And Christ is there, and he's off to the side. All your sin is laid out to bear before the judge. So gossiping about your neighbor's marriage, coveting your neighbor's new car, cheating on that test in high school, looking at pornography or any other sexual sin, maybe not going back in the grocery store to pay for an item that the checker missed in your cart, some crude humor at work with the guys, making your job a priority or an idol before God on and on and on. The evidence is stacked against you. The evidence is stacked against me. We're all guilty. But Christ, he's there on your behalf. You placed your faith in his work on the cross. Where was all that wrath poured out? On Jesus, on the cross. Is there any wrath left for you? No, the judge, God, declares you not guilty. You and I are justified or acquitted by God of wrongdoing, of the sin, of all those charges that could be brought against us. They're all taken from us, and instead they're given to Christ, and Christ's righteous status, his sinless status, is given to us. And this whole transaction is a free gift of grace by a loving God. Fair or unfair? Unfair. God is unfair. It's because he cares. Grace, that unmerited favor that he gives us. So unmerited favor. We celebrated a birthday in our family this weekend. And I got to thinking... Why do we give birthday presents to her? I'm the one who did all the work on the day, right? Like we just, we give birthday gifts, no reason. Okay. And then we have mercy, not getting what you deserve, right? So the cop, the police officer, he pulls you over, you were indeed speeding, and he lets you go with a warning. You did not get what you really deserved. You and I, we didn't do anything to deserve the not guilty sentence. As a matter of fact, you deserve the the guilty sentence. I deserve the guilty sentence. But in God's mercy, Christ took it for us. Now, in our American culture, I would say that there are more people, and it's usually subconscious, that think along the lines, well, it's kind of fair that he saved me. Because I'm mostly good, and I'm not as bad as, right? we take God's mercy and his grace way too lightly. But then there's some of us, and there are some times in our lives where we really do say, God, why me? And maybe you have some things in your past, or you're going through something, and you do question, and you ask, why would God plan and send Christ to die for me and all my ugly sin?" why would he declare me righteous? And when we view it this way, when we really take it in, it isn't fair. It isn't fair that God would let me or let you into heaven. I am a selfish sinner. And if the standard is total holiness and perfection, then I've got nothing to bring. And even when I prepared this message and I, you know, you're singing those songs, It should bring us to tears, it did bring me to tears, but we should have a love and a gratitude at the unfairness which counts us as righteous. Christ died for all of us who place our faith in his sacrifice on the cross. Because when God is unfair, he still cares. And how else do I know that God cares in his unfairness? God was unfair to his own son. Christ did nothing wrong. He lived a sinless life. He left the majesty and the splendor of heaven to be born in a dark and smelly cave. He suffered the beatings and the cruel death on the cross was naked and hung in shame alongside the road for all to see. If you turn to Luke, Luke 23, we're going to see here in the book of Luke that Jesus is brought before Pilate, and three times Pilate is going to declare Jesus not guilty. So the first time in chapter 23, verse 4, Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. And they send him off to Herod, who sends him back to Pilate. And he, Pilate, announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. That's not enough for the crowd. They are in an uproar and they want Jesus crucified. For the third time, he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. But the crowd continues shouting, crucify him. So Pilate turns him over to the crowd. and Hang Jesus on a cross. And next to Jesus, side by side, on the cross, are actually two real criminals. And one of them says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And after Jesus took his last breath, when the Roman officer who was overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and he said, surely this man was innocent. The kingdom of God is based on unfairness. Unfair to our benefit. For even when we deserve God's sharp rebuke, his stern judgment, or casting away, God gives us his kindness, patience, and acceptance. Jesus sets up a new system, not based on works, but based on grace. When God is unfair... He still cares. And God is indeed unfair in the most beneficial and good way. We are saved and declared righteous through a free gift of grace by a loving God. His grace not only changes us and shapes us for eternity, but also for living here on earth in a fallen world.
1: So what Jody just shared is the most important message for you to hear this morning. That God's grace is unfair, and it's to our benefit. And of course, that grace can only happen in your life if you've accepted Christ, if you've taken that step and have believed in him and have asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And then that grace is available to you forever. The second part of the message that I'm covering is really about how to deal with life now. Grace is how we get into heaven and and how we'll spend eternity. But even in this life, grace is something that we need. It's something that helps us live. Uh, Jody mentioned that we live in a fallen world. And, And what that means is that when God first set up the world in creation, everything was perfect. But when sin entered, it started to taint and to change the whole place. And that has caused all sorts of outcomes. For instance, there wasn't any pain in paradise, but there certainly is pain in this life today. There, there wasn't any disease, and yet we deal with disease all the time. And there wasn't evil. Evil is one of those things. God didn't create evil. Evil is the absence of God, just like dark is the absence of light. It's something that when we choose to go our own way, to deny God, to, through our own selfish means, move forward, um, that's when evil happens. And that's the fallen world we live in, and there's consequences every day for us. Trouble comes. Uh, You don't have to seek it out. When you seek it out, it shows up. When you don't seek it out, it still can show up. You see, the thing is, the Bible doesn't look at Pain and suffering as cyclical. It's not like the standard of how life always is. There's other religions that kind of look at the, you know, the yin and the yang. You can't have happiness without sorrow and those sort of things. But that's not Christianity. See, Christianity sees pain and suffering as a linear thing. It wasn't at the beginning. And it won't be at the end. It's just where we are right now. In fact, when we look at the end in Revelation 21.4, we see that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. That sounds great. But we don't live there yet. We're not in that new heaven and the new earth. We're in this one that's tended by sin. And so we have to deal with things a little different. We live in a chapter of God's big story that includes pain and suffering, and God seemingly being unfair. Is this whole situation unfair? You bet. But it gives us an opportunity to love, to trust God in a totally different way, when we have to rely upon him to get through something. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean that life is easy street, that Everything we go through is just going to be cake and not a problem. The Apostle Paul is an example of that. You know, he he lived his life to the fullest, pursuing God, telling people about who God is, trying to to basically show what righteousness was and to teach grace. And yet, he went through some horrible things. He was nearly stoned to death. He went through multiple shipwrecks. He was bitten by snakes. He, He had to go through cold and pestilence and hunger. And yet, in 2 Corinthians, he wrote, We are pressed on every side by our troubles, but we are not yet crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. One of the songs we we sang earlier talked about not being forsaken, not being left behind. Even when we have troubles, God is with us although it seems unfair that he doesn't just lift those troubles from us. When we look through the Bible, we see a lot of people who are recipients of God's unfairness. And this is just a very small little list that I was thinking through this week, but there are so many examples of times where, from our point of view or the person's point of view, God was being completely unfair. Take Joseph, for instance, in the Old Testament. You know, Joseph was favored by his father but envied by his brothers, so they sold him into slavery, and then he... Ended up in jail and prison for years. But this was all for a purpose because he was set up at the right time to actually become the second most powerful guy in the world at that time. And he saved his family, and he saved the Middle East from an extended famine. Or David. David pursued God with his whole heart. He saved Israel from the Philistines and Goliath. And yet he spent years being chased like a dog, living in caves. And when he did become king, there was one point that he had a a child, and the child became sick shortly after being born, and, and David prayed that the sickness would leave the child, but the child died. But all the way along, David pursued God. He loved God, even in those hard times. Or Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet, He was given the very difficult job of of giving a really tough message to a group of people who are wicked and hard-headed, and they did horrible things to him as he delivered this message. He wrote one of the books of the Bible called Lamentations. Lamentations is not a joyful page-turner kind of book to read, but it's still good for us to go through it because we see how God answers sorrow. Or Jonah Jonah knew that God was unfair. That was the whole point. When God said, go to Nineveh and give my message of grace and repentance, he knew that God would follow through with that. He knew that God was going to be unfair and extend grace to people who didn't deserve it. And so he tried to run away. And then Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of those lesser-known prophets. And Habakkuk, he was also in a time where there was lots of idolatry and sin. He, He basically asked God, he says, how are you going to correct this? And God answers back, I'm going to send an even more wicked people to come and to discipline you. And Habakkuk goes, no way. Send righteous people. That's what we need. We need help. We don't need that. But along the way, God answers Habakkuk to the point that Habakkuk realizes whether the fields are full or or the cows giving milk or anything like that, whether it happens or not, I still am going to trust God and walk forward. The New Testament has several examples too. The disciples basically whined and said, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. What are we going to get in return? It's unfair that we're getting nothing. The prodigal son's older brother basically comes to his father and says, what gives here? I've never asked for a keg or a goat to party with my, my friends, and yet my worthless brother shows back up and you throw a huge party. It's unfair. It's unfair. Acts 3 has a story of a lame man that Peter heals. And that's a good part of the story, but the beginning of the story talks about how this lame man was at the the Gate Beautiful in Jerusalem for years and years. And if you sit back and you think about it, it means that Jesus walked by him multiple times and never healed him. It was unfair that Jesus didn't do that, but there was a purpose. And we've already talked about Paul and all the things that happened to him. In our world today, we see unfairness as well. It, it's still here injustice, racism. Basically, I get privileges in this world because of the color of my skin that others don't. This last week, we marked the 18th anniversary of the unfairness of some people hijacking a plane and flying it into several buildings to kill people. That's unfair. It's unfair that often drunk drivers will kill somebody and yet they survive the accident. It's unfair that throughout the world today there's persecution for people following Jesus. If you go into the the regions of West Africa, there are people who are slaughtered there every day for following Christ. There are kids growing up in households filled with abuse that they can't escape. It's unfair. It's unfair that the lucky chance of what family I'm born into and perhaps even the latitude that I'm born into speaks to whether I'll be subject to ab, uh, abject poverty or not. How about the over 70 million people today that have been forcibly removed from their homes that are living in refugee camps? Or health care, people that are sick but can't afford to be seen, or people who are sick and there is no health care available for them where they live, or people that are sick and there's no cure. Basically, this unfairness I kind of look at as all being various forms of pain and suffering. And if you read the Bible, it will say we will go through pain and suffering at some point. It's not a question of if, but it's when and perhaps what severity. Lately, God has been speaking to me in particular about physical health, about his unfairness in that area. why Some people deal with things and some don't. While some kids have cancer. While some pregnancies don't unfairly end with a born baby, but are miscarriage instead, it's unfair that there are people, even in our church, who have chronic, uncurable pain every day. And it's unfair that there are some people who are sick and they go through horrendous treatments and the end still end up in hospice. It's not fair that God isn't stepping in. As I've been studying, I've been kind of looking at different reasons why God does heal. And I think there's two of them. There's times where He'll step in and He'll miraculously heal somebody, and the first reason is for His glory. When He does that, it shows that He is sovereign, that He is in control of everything, and He can change the natural order to heal somebody. It shows His power. But more importantly, it shows his glory in that he is glorified because an unbelieving world sees a miracle and it points to him. It's the only thing they can say happened was God stepped in. The second reason that God will heal is his love. I think love is his greatest attribute. There are times that purely because of his love, he will step in and he'll heal somebody. We know he wants to end pain and suffering for all of us. We know the end game. We know the story that, again, when the new heaven, new earth comes, that it'll all be gone. But even in this life, there are times where he steps in and he does that for somebody, and I think that's because of his love for us. He wants what's best for us. Now, there are some reasons, I think, that I've kind of seen in Scripture as well as to reasons why God doesn't heal And not surprising, the reasons are the same two points. God's pretty consistent. Sometimes he doesn't heal because of his glory. Because when we step into troubles and suffering and we have to rely upon God to get through, it glorifies him. It points people to him because they can see a hope in us that they don't otherwise see. It gives us an eternal perspective that lets us see people the way God sees them and be able to help and the other thing is his love for us there's times where he doesn't heal which sounds horrible but he still loves us he wants what's best for us even if that means going through a hard time for now and in this life because again in god's perspective this life is just a blip in time compared to eternity When God is unfair, he still cares. One way to help understand this in terms of this healing piece is you are not the central character of your own story. Jesus is. Jesus is the central character, and everything about our lives is about him, whether we accept him or not, whether we glorify and witness to others about him or not. But it's about Jesus. We're the support cast. And when we have that in mind, we're able to go through suffering and tribulation and trials in a completely different way because we know it's really about Jesus. It seems unfair, but it's actually not. He has the best in mind for us. Last week, Don shared this verse, Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. A lot of times this verse is kind of framed as a everything's going to be great and work out. Sometimes in our perspective, not everything is great and works out the way we'd want. But it works out for his purpose. Again, he's the central character. I think there are some purposes we can draw again from Scripture of why God sometimes doesn't heal. This isn't all of them, but this might give you a little bit. The first one is I think... When we're not healed, it opens up a whole different kind of kingdom, ministry, and witness. This is towards that thing of not healing for his glory. You see, when we're not healed and we're relying on Jesus to get through each day, to get through the pain, to get through whatever that trial is, it reflects to the world around us. Paul said, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Basically, when we go through something hard, we get to reflect the love and the grace of, of Christ to show others the hope that we have. Paul also said he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort God has given us. When you go through something really difficult, it allows you, when you encounter somebody else, to have a point of authenticity to be able to share how you got through it, how Christ helped you. Right now, I have a friend who I often spend time in Haiti. He's, he goes to Haiti all the time and does ministry. Right now, he's in a 12-week chemotherapy therapy every day, and he's not able to go to Haiti. And He and I have communicated back and forth, and he's expressed how frustrated he was that he's not doing ministry. And I was able to to share with him my thought that right now, God has set up divine appointments for him every single day with people who are going through what he's going through, and he's able to reflect and share Christ with them and the hope that he has in a way that he'd never be able to if he didn't walk this path. It's a hard thing, but it has opened up a whole different ministry for him to go through, and I think that's something for us to consider. Another purpose is our own character development. God loves us. He loves our our faults, our weaknesses, but he also wants to transform us, to grow us, to become more and more heaven worthy. You see, the, the character that we develop on this side of eternity is what we carry forward for eternity, and God wants us to have the best character possible for the rest of eternity with him. Paul in Romans 5 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. I don't always rejoice, by the way. But it shows the difference between joy and happiness, doesn't it? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Walking through these things develops our character. Wisdom comes through hard knocks. (laughs) And by experiencing these things, we grow. And it also puts our hope even further into the salvation that Christ secured for us on the cross. Going through hard times can remind us of the grace that he's given us. And the last purpose that maybe God has for not healing that I'm sharing this morning is community. We weren't made to be in life by ourselves. I know out here on the Eastern Plains, we tend to be pretty independent people, but the truth is that's not what God intended for us, particularly as Christians. Instead, we're supposed to share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. The law that's being mentioned there is Christ said he gave us a new commandment, and that is to love each other. When we go through hard times, if we can share that with others, And they help bear that burden with us. It reflects the love of Christ. And it actually opens up ministry for somebody else to be helping us. It's often really hard for us to ask for help. And so I'd say one thing we have to do as a church is when you're going through a hard time, use those connection cards. Use your life group. Use your Bible study to say, I'm facing something tough. Don't feel like you're whining about it. Yes, if you go over it and that's all you ever talk about, that'd be one thing. But... Let people know what's going on and by that they'll be able to help you and lift them up and you will enable them to have a ministry to use God's gifts, to use God's wisdom in your life. Romans 12, which is a great chapter to read, just how to live for Christ, says it this way, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. to have a ministry of presence to help others through trials and tribulation. It is important to remember that Yes, God is unfair, but he cares for us, and that's part of his plan and sovereignty for us to sometimes go through things. He is there. His grace is sufficient for eternity and for today. Let's go ahead and pray together. Awesome, gracious, merciful God, I thank you that you are unfair and that we benefit from that every day. It would be so easy for you just to judge us and be done, to maybe have created us a robot so we can't make any choices, but you loved us so much. You created us so that we can choose to love you or not, to accept grace or not. We live in a world that has fallen, that there are always going to be troubles. There's going to be times where we are sick and in pain, where we're grieving over something. And in those times, I know you are walking beside us. And again, you give us the choice to try to do it on our own, to maybe shake our fist at you and say how unfair it is, or for us to say, I rejoice even in this moment because I know you care for me and you have the best in mind. Jesus, I do thank you that you chose to die for us on the cross, that you, the perfect lamb, took on our sin, our punishment, the judgment that we deserved so that you could give us undeserved grace that we don't have to earn, we just have to accept. Lord, for those that are dealing with with pain and suffering and trials now, I, I do pray that if it's your will that you will miraculously heal them and take care of things. And if it's your will for that not to happen, that you will make it so clear to them why they are walking through this and how they can live for you even as they struggle. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you don't just clean everything up like a helicopter parent, but instead you allow us to grow, deal with things that sometimes are our own doing and Sometimes the things that have nothing to do other than being in a fallen world. Jesus, thanks for loving us first, long before we were able to love you.
0: Amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, We'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.